Well, good morning. That was a lot better than first service. That was good. Uh, my name is Justin Craig. I am the family minister here at the church. And um, before we jump into uh, this this morning, there's a couple of things uh, that we want to share from the stage. Uh, one, uh, we have a huge praise. Our senior pastor, Randy Boltinghouse, is now recovering at home from his surgery, uh, which is just a huge blessing um, for both him and Sarah. Um, and uh, he is um, he has just been so uh, blessed by... Uh, the gratitude of your visits and your prayers and your cards. Uh, he does ask at this time that we would allow him to rest in some solitude, but keep offering up those prayers because, uh, uh, you know, the Lord works mighty in, in prayer. And so um, the second thing that uh, I wanted to uh, share before we dive in this morning is uh, this: the last couple weeks have kind of been um, pretty heavy for our community, um, losing uh, Willie Somerville and Luke Miller uh, in the last two weeks. Um, and we just wanted to offer as a church our deepest condolences to their friends and family. And um, we just want to let you know that you're not walking this journey alone, that as a church family, we're here to support and pray, pray over you during this difficult time. So uh, this morning, we're gonna jump into um, our series uh, of Lent called Jesus Died For. Uh, and this morning, before, before we get going into our scripture and everything, I like to share stories because it makes me less nervous, uh, and I'm always nervous. So, uh, so I was supposed to have uh, my internship all set up. Internship after college was all set up. That's all I had to do, uh, and it was college was done, right? And uh, had it all set up, and with internship also came some free housing for us because they were paying me the big goose egg. And so I had, I had housing and internship all lined up until the one day when my brother Joel, who also works at the church that I was doing my internship at, called me and said, hey, so the guy you're supposed to be doing your internship with just left the church. He's, he's, he's working at a different church now. And I'm like, score. Uh, so now I have no, no internship to finish college with, so you know, that's kind of a big milestone, and no place to live all a month before we got married. <laughs> Thanks, uh, everybody. That was, that's so nice. So we, uh, we scramble around a little bit, and I, I pull some strings with Lincoln Christian University, and I ask them, please let me do my internship with my brother and his team that he works with there. They allowed that, so we got it all set up. I called him, and I said, hey, I'm excited to do my internship with you. He's like, yeah, me too, and I was like, hey, that housing piece? He's like, oh, we got that all figured out, but it's complicated, and I'm like, cool, because um, generally when somebody says something's complicated, it means that you're going to end up owing them 12 goats. Uh, like three organic fed cows and you're gonna have to name your firstborn child after this person so Lucy's real name is Joel and uh, <laughs> that's not true but but you know it was, it was complicated and before it got complicated things got much worse right the, the beautiful day happens August 5th 2006 we say I do we we go off to our honeymoon which we've we've heard stories about that before and you know we go off to our honeymoon we come back and I realized it was a small housing situation before my internship that we just kind of forgot about, right? Like, it's like, we come back, and it's like, oh, the internship doesn't start till Sunday, August 27th. Well, we didn't have the money to go on a honeymoon for 20 days. 
So now we are newlyweds and homeless. So we come back to Rockford, Illinois, where we're both from, where we both grew up, and, and where our wedding was at. We come back, and somebody in our family, they have an apartment that, that they are uh, trying to get out of because they just bought a house. So we're like, cool, we'll just stay in the apartment until they, until they find somebody else. And that was, that was a really good idea for two nights until the next morning we're, we're getting ready and everything. And in comes the landlord. And he's like, who are you? And we're like, uh, we are leaving is what we're doing. Thanks a lot for having us. I'll see you later. Now, the next part was a little disheartening because then we were talking with our family. We're like, what do we do now? And, and they're like, you know what? The church camping trip's coming up. And I'm like, why not, right? I mean, we just got a new tent for our wedding. Like, let's break that out and let's pop up the tent and we'll, we'll go camping for a couple nights. And that was fine. But then the awkwardness got real the struggle got real when it was the moment where we moved in with my in-laws for a couple of weeks. It was that classic situation of, of course, Gary, I'm going to take care of your daughter. Of course, I'm going to put her needs before my own. By the way, I'm going to need your basement for a couple of weeks. Uh, some basic food groups would be awesome because I got no money. And uh, I'm going to need you to store all those beautiful wedding gifts for us somewhere in the house that would be awesome and and you know I, I need some excedrin migraine because tension causes me to have some headaches and they just don't go away and so some excedrin migraine would be great they took care of every one of our needs and it was it was actually not as awkward as it seemed but just in that moment I felt a little bit less like a human being then our internship started. We moved down to Bloomington, Illinois, started my internship, and we got in our car with all of our junk because no, no newlywed couple has nice stuff. So we get in with all of our bookshelves that are crooked and all of our stuff in our car, and we are, we are going to see where we're going to live. He's like, oh, my brother's like, oh, we got you this great house. I'm like, a house? I don't see the complicated part here. And he's like, all right. So we get into our cars, and we are driving to, to this beautiful neighborhood. And I'm like, what? Like, this is awesome, right? And so we pull in, and I'm like, this house has a three-car garage. Where is the, is the complicated part? We can't use the boat because, oh, man, that would be just a shame, you know, because there's lots of water in Bloomington unless it rains. Um, but uh, so we, we pull in, and we're like, oh, man, this is great. This is awesome. We get out of the car, and I'm like, dude, I'm not seeing the downside here. I'm not seeing the complicated part. And he's like, right. So there's another family living here, and uh, let's go meet them. And I'm like, Yes, great, because that's what we've done our entire married lives. Why shouldn't we live with another family? And so we ended up staying in the master suite, which is extremely nice and was extremely generous and extremely awkward all at the same time. And in, in just a few weeks, my momentum from our wedding day went skyrocketing down, actually. And I felt a lot of shame. To say that the first four weeks of our married lives joined in holy matrimony was awesome would have been a tad exaggerated. In the first four weeks of our married lives, I felt deep shame. I hadn't followed through. I felt worthless. I felt like a loser. I felt like my job was to provide for my new wife and I couldn't even take care of it the first month. I felt like she chose poorly. I felt like I couldn't do anything right. I felt alone helpless, like I wasn't prepared. You see, shame has a way of taking us to a dark place fast. Shame makes us feel joyless, hopeless, unacceptable, 
unlovable, lonely and unwanted. Shame takes on a lot of different forms based on our past experiences. Maybe shame, maybe you have shame in your life because of something that you have done. Maybe you have shame in your life because of something that was done to you. Maybe you have shame in your life because of something that's just simply associated with your name. Shame has lots of different shapes and can bury us in a place where we lack self-esteem, self-image, and self-respect. Before we dive in too much farther, I want to give us a good definition of shame. It's up here on the screen, and it says this, shame is where I feel worthless in the eyes of others. This is what we're talking about today. Shame is where I feel worthless in the eyes of others. Shame has a way of building anxiety and fear and rips away any good image we see when we look in the mirror. And Satan will build shame in our minds as another way of distracting us and lying to us. Whether it's a moment of insignificance, whether it is a month of mistakes, whether it is a season of sin, or maybe it's a lifetime of distractions that you have bought into in Satan's world. There is one thing we need to know this morning is that Jesus died for our shame. We are not junk. We are not worthless. And Jesus proved that when he hung on the cross for us. For everyone. If you guys have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 7 this morning, right at the end of chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 53 through chapter 8, verse 11. That sounds like a lot, but it's really not. If you're looking in the Bibles that are sitting in front of you, in the, in the seats in front of you, we're on page 894. And as we, as we get there, I want to tell you guys what's happening in the text so far. Jesus and his family have gone up to the Feast of Tabernacles. And what's, what's happened there is that, that about midway through the feast, Jesus decides he's going to start teaching in the temple. So he goes in and he starts teaching, but it's not just an ordinary sermon for the regular sinners. It's a sermon meant for the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of that day. And Jesus isn't just, he isn't just challenging them, but he is really challenging their authority. He is challenging who they are as people and their moral dilemmas as, as religious leaders. And so we get to the end of chapter 7, and there's been, there's been some conversation between these scribes and Pharisees, one of them named Nicodemus, which we will talk about him next Sunday. And Nicodemus asks the question, how can we be sure that Jesus is who he really says he is? And then we pick up here in our scripture this morning in John chapter 7, verse 53, and it says, Then they all went home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? You see, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. That kind of reminds me of my kids, like when I ask them to do something, they realize they're not, they, they think they're not paying attention to me, so they start another activity and everything. I kind of think it's kind of humorous in our scripture this morning. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. 
So what's happening in our scripture this morning? This passage paints a strong picture of harsh judges, Pharisees and scribes, who have neglected their responsibility to care for the soul of the woman. The scribes and Pharisees were a class of Jewish leaders, professionals in knowledge of of the law, and were frequently called upon to make legal judgments in the community. Here they smugly challenge Jesus to perform in an area where they are knowledgeable experts. This woman becomes disposable because their aim is to corner Jesus and her life is a tool in their theological scheme to make him either condemn her, thus sacrificing his commitment to grace, or to forgive her, sacrificing his commitment to God's law. So Jesus makes a few statements, not regarding the position of the woman, but the position of the Pharisees and scribes. And the law of Moses that they're referencing here is found in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, and and in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22, where where the law of Moses says that if a man and woman are caught in the act of adultery, both of them are are to come out and to be put on trial. But it also says in the law of Moses that if if some of the Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders see these actions getting ready to take place, they are to do everything they can to stop them. And we learn from our scripture this morning that they are trying to trap Jesus. Jesus knows this. They are asking Jesus to shame her in front of everyone just as they have done. But Jesus turns the tables on them and he shares this statement. If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. This is where the scene shifts its focus, where the woman is no longer on trial, but the Pharisees and scribes are now put on the spot. And Jesus doesn't do this. He doesn't do this to shame the Pharisees and scribes. He does this so that they will examine their hearts before they execute hers. As the scribes and Pharisees file out, realizing that they have some past sins they need to deal with, the oldest one's leaving first. Jesus then turns his attention to the woman. This is where we get a clear picture of what this scripture is telling us this morning. And this is where we're going. It's up here on our screen. Our past sin and shame does not get to determine our outcome. But the love, compassion, and grace of Jesus does. Our past sin and shame does not get to determine the outcome, but the love, compassion, and grace of Jesus does. Jesus offers two major shifts in our scripture this morning that not only apply to the woman, but apply to us today as well. The first one is that Jesus enters into our shame to invite us out. Jesus enters into our shame to invite us out. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. You see, we see Jesus enter into the shame of the woman, and he doesn't just enter into block further accusations, but to invite her out. And Jesus doesn't just invite her out of something, but to invite her into something. His unrivaled love, which she is desperately seeking. His unmatched grace, which she desperately needs. And his inclusive community, which is where she feels the most lonely. You see, Jesus enters into our shame to invite us out, but it can be really difficult for us to leave. So I'd ask myself this question, why is it so difficult for us to leave this life of sin and shame? Why is it hard for us to say goodbye to our shame? I think there's a couple of reasons. The first, and they're not as important, but we have a stubbornness that's inside of us, right? I mean, my wife and I, we're both stubborn, so we knew our kids were just bound to get it. It's like a disease. And our oldest child, she is really stubborn. And some days, she drives us nuts. Uh, And some days, 
uh, we are really excited because we know that her stubbornness and being rooted in the Lord is going to take her really far when she gets to be an adult, makes adult decisions, and she's stubborn in what she's learned in the past. We're really excited about that. But sometimes our stubbornness can hang us up. Another reason why it's hard for us to leave is that, that we don't like admitting weaknesses. We don't like to look weak in front of others. But the two major reasons why I think it's difficult for us to leave, this first one is we would rather be uncomfortable than unfamiliar. We are afraid to leave what is familiar with us, even though it's really uncomfortable, to be out of control, to where we relinquish control of the situation. This becomes a control issue in our minds. We believe that when we sit in our shame, we actually sit in the driver's seat. I can control my sin and my shame in my life. I can totally do that. We start to rationalize the situation, the sins and the shame. But I love Perry Noble uh, wrote a book a few years ago called Overwhelmed. And in his book, he says, when we rationalize our sins, we end up telling rational lies to ourselves, to others, and to God. But we rationalize our sins. And Christ's forgiveness in each of our lives diminishes as we lose touch with the depth of our own sinfulness. We rationalize that my sin is not as bad as someone else's. When we no longer see ourselves in the drama of this woman in our scripture this morning, when we feel we are more free from accusations than other people are, we lose sight of God's grace and our need for it. See, we would rather be uncomfortable in our own sin than unfamiliar and out of control. And so it made me think of this question that I'm not going to answer this morning because this is a question that just needs to sit and marinate in your heart and in your mind. Do we really, truthfully, honestly trust Jesus more than we trust ourselves? Do we really, truthfully, honestly trust Jesus more than we trust ourselves? We would rather be uncomfortable than unfamiliar. The second reason why I think it's so difficult for us to leave our shame is that confession is hard. Craig Rochelle writes in his book, Soul Detox, most of us extend our failure by trying to conceal our sins. He goes on to say, we confess our sins to God for forgiveness and we confess our sins to others for healing through accountability. So I sat down this week and I tried to map out the ways that we can do this as a church, the way that we already have programs and people set up to help keep each other accountable in our building. And the first one that I thought of was a no-brainer, Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery happens every Friday night at 5.45. There is a meal provided for you, free of charge. And there's childcare provided for you, free of charge. There's a worship time. And then there's gender-separated breakout groups where you just talk about life's hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And I love, they go through a 12-step program every week. And in step five, it actually talks about this confession it says, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. And this step comes out of James chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Celebrate recovery is one of those great opportunities for us to confess in a group where we're just standing around going, we don't know what's going on. We don't have it all figured out. We know we're following Jesus and we're doing it together. Other great avenues are small groups. If you don't have a group of people keeping you accountable, whether that's in this building or someplace else, small groups is a great place to start. And if you want to be in a small group, Brenda Tennell's email is up there. 
I don't generally put my email up there because you guys send me all kinds of stuff. But Brenda, Brenda would love to hear from you. Say, I was here on Sunday, I, I, I heard Justin, and I want to be in a small group. She will then ask you some questions about what you're looking for, what times you can meet, and we will get you plugged into a small group. Because the easiest way to not feel alone is to be with other people that care about you and want to do life with you. We also have insight classes, which are another great way to begin your journey of spiritual depth, community, and healing. Brenda's actually going to talk about those a little bit later. You see, if we're going to overcome our current circumstances, we will never make it if we flirt with compromise. Because God accomplishes more through conviction than he does compromise. And the best way for us to not compromise is to put people in place in our lives to walk with us. If we choose to continue hiding, then our sin and shame may take us farther than we thought we'd go, and it will cost us. It will cost us more than we thought we'd pay. Jesus enters into our shame to invite us out, and it's up to us to walk out. Jesus enters into our shame to invite us out, and it is up to us to walk out, to realize that the comfort of our Savior is more meaningful than the familiar nature of ourselves, to confess to God and others that I don't have it all figured out and that I have a burden that I need to let go of because I wasn't meant to carry it in the first place. The second major shift in our scripture this morning is when Jesus and the woman talk. He says, has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. Then neither do I. Go now and leave your life of sin. You see, Jesus enters into our shame to invite us out, and Jesus invites us out of our shame so that he can wear it. Just because Jesus did not condemn her doesn't mean that he condones her actions or her sinful past. It just means that he cares more for her heart and her future. This is where, this is where our shame turns into the shape of the cross. This is where our shame turns into the shape of of the cross too often we believe that the power of our sin the power of our sin is greater than the power of the cross again perry noble writes in his book overwhelmed god is not threatened by our circumstances or situations he is a grave robbing water walking miracle working death defying god and he is able to pull us through anything we are facing in this life the scripture in, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is sitting with tax collectors and sinners and he is eating a meal with them. He is eating dinner with them and all the Pharisees and scribes are standing outside and they're like, I can't believe who he's eating with. Like, I mean, if he's really a prophet or if he really is who he says he is, he shouldn't be eating with these people and Jesus, knowing their hearts, comes out and says to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Now, uh, my Greek tutor from Lincoln Christian College is Dorothy Anderson, and Dorothy and her husband Cliff have been coming here for a while. So, Dorothy, here you go. Uh, for all those, all those semesters you spent with me, here we go. This word call is the word kaleo in, in Greek, and it means so much more than to just call somebody. It means to call them out, to invite them to a festival or a feast or a celebration. It means that Jesus is not simply calling us out of something. He's calling us into something new. And it makes me remember that invitations are important. At our last church that I served at for almost four years, um, 
there was a family in our church that had uh, been very new to the faith, and so I wanted, I wanted to get to know their kids. Uh, I was in charge of, of middle school and high school, and I wanted to get to know their kids. Their kids uh, had one in middle school and a couple in elementary, and I wanted to take the elementary kids out for lunch. So I get Jason, and I get James, and, and I, I go over to their house. I get them. I pick them up, and, uh, you know, mom is just like, this is great, you know, so exciting. So we get in the car, and I'm like, guys, where do you want to go to eat? And they're like, oh, man, our favorite place is Ryan's Family Steakhouse Buffet. And I'm like, Mm. Mm. I was thinking like a Buffalo Wild Wings or something like that. Like, I mean, mm. they're like, no, man, a buffet is where you can get as much food. I'm like, I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know about buffets. You're welcome for them because I'm keeping them in business. All right. And so, so we go to Ryan's Family Steakhouse Buffet. And I got something that looked like meat. And these kids come and they sit down and they've got plates that are just piled together. And I'm like, this is going to be entertaining. Because they're, they're, both, they're both some heavier kids and they like to eat. They told me in the car, we really like to eat. So we're gonna, we want to go to this place. We can get as much food as we can. I'm like, excellent. This is going to be a lot of fun. I wish I had a smartphone at the time because I wanted to take pictures of their plates. Because they were, I mean, it was just... How are you going to eat all that? And not only how are you going to eat all that, but you got four other plates coming too. Like, this is no good. And then there's an ice cream machine. This is going to be crazy. So we're sitting down, and they are, just, they are just diving in. They are eating, and I'm just sitting there, you know, taking my time. And I'm like, so, guys, it's almost the summertime. You guys excited for school to be over? And like, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh. It's going to be a long lunch. And so I'm like, I'm like, so what do you guys got planned for this summer? You guys got any vacations? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay, good. And so I keep trying to start conversations with them. I was, like, I was like, so what's the worst thing about your older brother, Jacob? And they're like, mm, 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 mm. And I'm like, are you going to take a breath? Like, am I, I don't know CPR. Like, this isn't going to be okay. And so finally, the younger one, Jason, looks up at me and he goes, Mr. Justin, we don't talk when we eat. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> great. And so we said about four words for the rest of the time we were at the restaurant. And then on the way home, they were like, oh, man, that cake was so good. It was just conversation after conversation. They were, they were, they were so funny to listen to. I get them home, and mom's like, how were they? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> They're full. And she's like, I doubt that. And I'm like, okay. And so... The next Sunday, she comes up to me and she goes, Justin, I just got to thank you. She's like, she's like I, they know that you are at church to, to hang out with Jacob and that you are at church to hang out with the middle school and high schoolers. But the fact that, that you took them out to eat was just great. And I'm like, they didn't say four words to me, Vicky. I have no idea what they like to do. I don't know where you're going on vacation. I don't know anything about them at this point. And she's like, she's like no. She's like, did they tell you we don't, we don't talk when we eat? I'm like, yes, they told me that. And she's, <laughs> she's like, yeah, we don't. I'm just letting you know. I'm like, that's fine. That's fine that that's normal but it's just it was weird because I didn't really have time to start conversation with them and she said the invitation was the most important thing to them the fact that you wanted to spend time with them it's not part of your job this is this is above and beyond your job it's not it's not a part of that but the fact that you wanted to spend time with them made them feel extremely important and it reminded me that invitations are important and the invitation that Jesus gives us when he calls us out of something and calls us into the celebration that he has planned, it gives us new life, gives us new community, gives us new love. But too often, too often we become quicker to replay the life-crippling scenes of our sin and shame rather than replaying the life-saving scene of the cross. You see, belief in the cross doesn't take away all of the struggles in my life. 
It's very important for you to hear that if you're new to the faith, this, or maybe you're pre-Jesus at this point, but whatever it is, you need to understand that that belief in the cross and the Savior who hung there doesn't completely get rid of all the struggles in my life, but it shows me how to handle it, who to, where to handle it, and who to hand it to. Change begins with a decision to be overwhelmed or to allow Jesus to overcome. So I want to ask this morning, where do we run if we don't run to the cross? When our sin and our shame get so built up, where do we go if we don't run to the cross? Where do we run to if we're not running to Jesus? So I made a list, maybe you can, maybe you can have something that resonates with you in this list. Where do we run to if we don't run to the cross? Maybe it's money, porn, popularity, lust, greed, anger, lies, selfishness, envy, bitterness, alcohol, pills, which ironically all lead to more shame. You see, what happens is, is that, that we have so much shame in our past that we think that more shame is going to get rid of that, but it doesn't. It piles up and it piles and it piles, and Satan will tell you time and time again that these setbacks will actually push you where you want to be. But I know this, I know this, that where I want to be and where I need to be are completely different places. It's not until, it's not until our wants and desires and cravings for Jesus it's not until that they're for Jesus that we will be where we want to be and where we need to be at the same time. Followers of Jesus, we shouldn't be known for what we run from, but who we run to. You see, Jesus frees us to speak up when shame builds walls so that it silences us. Jesus frees us to speak in when shame destroys our self-image. Jesus frees us to speak out when we see others falling into the trap of shame and sin. Jesus frees us to speak down when Satan keeps on telling us which way to go. Jesus frees us to be unashamed of our past, present, and future. Jesus' love helps us see ourselves as lovable again. Jesus' compassion calls us back into his community. And Jesus' grace invites us into a new beginning. You see, we embrace our true identity when we stop identifying ourselves by our slavery of sin and we start identifying with our Savior who was enslaved for our sin. You see, it's only the broken who know what it is to be put back together and made whole. So my question for us this morning is, when was the last time you felt whole? I know for me it's been a while. I struggle with anger. I didn't share this first service, so this, is, this will be extra. I struggle with anger. And I know it may not seem like that if you see me bouncing around the hallways on Sunday mornings, whether I'm hanging out with the middle schoolers, high schoolers, kids, or pre-K. But I struggle with anger. When things don't go right, I'd like to say that I like hulk up, but it's not that cool. And it's something that has that has held on to me for a long time. And it's a burden that I need to hand over to Christ. So when was the last time you felt whole? Why do we cling to our sin tighter than we cling to Jesus? Why do we suffer in the bondage of our brokenness when Jesus broke those chains on the cross? One of my favorite verses um, that I need to go to frequently 
is Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The first thing in the scripture is where we need to go. We need to come to him. All of you who are weary and burdened, that's all of us. Even on our best day, we are weary and burdened. And he will give us rest. This is where our shame takes the shape of the cross. This is where I start to believe that the power of the cross is greater than the power of my sin. This is where belief in the cross shows me how to handle my sin, where to handle it at, and who to hand it to. This is where confession of our sins doesn't seem daunting but liberating. This is where we wholeheartedly trust Jesus more than we trust ourselves. This is where our road to recovery starts. This is where new community starts. This is where the new me starts. This is where we choose to not be overwhelmed anymore, but to allow Jesus to be our overcomer. This is important for us to to realize. I know I'm walking out of the light there, but that's okay. There is no sin that is too heavy for this cross. There is no sin that is too gross for his grace. And so here in a little bit, what we're going to do, each of you were given a rock this morning on your chair, which seemed risky. (laughs) Really did. Each of you should have had a rock on your seat this morning. And in each of your rows, if first service did this right, should have some Sharpies in it. And the rock represents the burdens that we carry around. I told Bill J after first service, I really want to just carry a cinder block with me the whole service, but I think I would have talked really fast. And so I I didn't do that. But this rock represents the burden that we carry with us. The thing is, is that we're not meant to carry these. We're not meant to carry burdens. We're not meant to carry sin. We're not meant to carry shame. We're meant to worship Jesus It's hard to do that when I have this to think about. And so in a few moments, the band's going to come up. They're going to play a couple of songs. We're going to do communion like we did last week. It's all throughout the room. And we're also going to have people that are ready to pray with you all throughout the room. People from our Celebrate Recovery ministry. People from our staff, from our elder team, from our prayer team. We're going to be scattered in prayer pockets throughout the room if you need prayer. If you need somebody that's safe to confess your sins to, maybe Jesus is doing something in your heart this morning that you've not ever felt before and you need to make a commitment to Jesus this morning. Go talk to one of our people. Take communion. Be a part of this time where Jesus invites us into his community, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done on the cross for us. And after you fill out your rock, after you write down the sin or the shame that is on your rock, that's on your heart, during that time, I want you to come up and I want you to gently uh, chuck your rock to the foot of the cross. Don't leave this room without leaving something there. We all came in carrying something extra today. I don't know what yours is, and I won't tell you what mine is, 
but this morning is the opportunity to leave it here and walk out free from this. If you need to use the stairs to worship, come and use the stairs. Sit down on the stairs. Bow down at the stairs. Bow down before our king. Over these next two songs, we want you to feel free in this room. Free to worship, free to be in community with our Lord and Savior, and free to confess what we need to confess before the foot of the cross. I'll pray, and then we'll dismiss. Father God, thank you so much for the freeing power of Jesus. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus in my place, in our place. Thank you for freeing us from the chains and the burdens that we hang on to. God, we know that you are not shocked by our shame and our sin. We know that nothing is too gross for your grace. We know that there is nothing too heavy for your cross. And so God, I pray that you would free us this morning. God, help us as we come to your table, as you invite us into your community and we have communion with you. God, give us a spirit of authenticity, of realness. Because we want to be whole again. We want to be the way that you made us to be. So, Father, I pray you would help us to let go of our burdens. Help us to let go of our sin and our shame because you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my shame. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.